Good morning. Uh, glad you guys are here. Um, I um, am going to be in John 3 today. Uh, you may or may not know where I'm going. Uh, but let me, I have a question to start off with you. Uh, and if you've not been here before, typically most of the questions I put out there, uh, you just internally answer. You don't have to hollow them out. You don't have to point out somebody else's answer to their question. Uh, but what is the hardest thing for you to do? Just think about that for a second. If you're like me, and you may not have even thought about this, um, it is acknowledging when I get it wrong. Anybody else struggle with that? Like, married couples in the room. <laughs> God loved me so much that he gave me a wife that sees the truth and speaks it often. I read this to her, even though she's in kids' ministry, so she knows everything I'm getting ready to say. The hard part is listening to the truth and seeing it for what it is. An opportunity to get better. I fail all the time. Over the last two weeks, God has opened my eyes to how often I feel the need to defend myself when Jody or someone else has presented a truth to me. For real, this is a big issue for me. I mean, like, over the last two weeks, I feel like over and over again, mostly with my wife, because she knows me and she sees what others don't. <clears throat> Not that I want to be right all the time. I even wrote in here. Yes, I do. Um <laughs> I just don't want people to think less of me, even if it's true. That's why I defend myself. I have this illusion to a character that I feel like I have to defend so that people won't think less of me. There's a uh, psychologist waiting to sit me down to unpack that. Not today, though. I shade often in gray, blurring the black and white. The truth is, my wife loves me more than anyone on this planet. And if you've taken love and respect, the baseline in most relationships is understanding that the other person wants you to do well. They, they love you. But that's typically not how we respond when somebody presents something to us that we don't like. She loves me so much that she wants to see the best version of myself. She didn't like this line out of all the other ones. She is a lot like Jesus. She's like, whoa. I love her humility. Babe, I'm just comparing the idea, okay? I'm not saying you're the Messiah. I'm just saying you're a lot like Jesus, which is our goal, right, as believers. Today I'll be looking at the most quoted Bible verse. Any idea what that is? Oh, look at that. If you thought or said John 3.16, you are correct. Here's the question for you. Are you ready for God to speak 
to you. Because we're not here just to encourage, just to feel better. We're here to hear from the Word of God. Here's my one thing that I want you to hear today, and then we're going to pray. We are all invited to live in the light. Let's pray. Jesus, we'll see in your word today that many love the darkness and are afraid of the light. Many in this room right now are clinging to the darkness. And they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of of you seeing what you already see. And Lord, I pray that today your truth and your word would humble us to step into the light and to experience freedom. Lord, you offer eternal life to us who trust and believe in you. And Lord, I pray that we would not let the darkness keep us from that light. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, before we get to John 3.16, because this is couched in this same conversation, I have to kind of walk through a little bit so you'll understand what happened right before this, which is really important for those that read your Bible. Context is key. Uh, I think a lot of times, uh, especially if you just read your Bible on Facebook quotes, um, you just see one thing and you get to interpret it any way you want versus reading the rest of it and getting the true idea of what's going on. Well, before that, in the first 15 verses of John 3, there's a conversation with uh, Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He is a, a leader. And for those that have watched Chosen, not to say that it's fallen like the video has shown it, but, I mean, he wrestled with the reality of who Jesus was so much so that he didn't confront him like the other Pharisees in public to ridicule him or make him look stupid or try to catch him in some flaw. He went to him at night because he had something going on in him that he could not rectify by any other means than having a conversation with Jesus. And of course, he tells him all these flowery things like we know that you're or I know that you're from God and that you speak the truth and blah, 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 and all these things. And, and Jesus goes right to the core, which is hilarious. We're talking about salvation today. We're talking about eternity with Jesus and how that happens. And here is the teacher of the law going to Jesus. And the only conversation that Jesus has with him is that you must be born again. That would be like if you grew up in a Baptist church or Baptist pastor having a conversation with Jesus in front of you and him going, hey, you need to get saved confusing right i mean like in this context they were the ones leading them to the light and here he is telling him you must be born again and nicodemus was like what are you talking about and he and it gets really comical like am i supposed to i don't know why i just did that do I enter back into my mother's womb? Because he's thinking, I'm an adult. My mother may not, maybe isn't even alive at this point. Like, how does this happen? And he tells them all of these things to open his eyes to this reality that salvation comes by surrender. 
And God is clarifying that surrender to the person of Jesus in the New Testament. And then this odd conversation that happens at the end, and if you're not familiar with the story out of Numbers, I encourage you to read it. It's odd. I think it was uh, Numbers 21. should have written that down. Uh, But John 3, verses 13 through 15 and he's telling the, telling Nicodemus, like, I have the ability to tell you these things. Like, he's like, kind of like, hey, you know, yes, you're saying that, but how is it true? And in 13 it says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, referring to himself, the Son of Man. And listen to this. And I'm telling you, if those that read your Bibles, look at the little... They're, they're those little odd characters that are odd placed in the line, like B's and 1's and 2's, they're, they're pointing to something. You should read it. And then in verse 14 it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This whole conversation was about salvation which continues into this next piece. And for those that haven't read Numbers 21, the people that God was redeeming and rescuing and out of slavery were complaining against God and against His servant. And God, not my story, sends snakes. For those that don't like snakes, this is a bad day. And it's not snakes that like, oh, I'm scared, like snakes that bite you and you die. And I reread it after this, and, and it's beautiful that, you know, Moses doesn't do what he does until the people come and repent and ask. So they come and they're like, please help us, we repent, we are wrong. And God, and Moses prays, and God tells him to make this bronze serpent, put it on a pole. And if you get bit by a snake, all you have to do is to find this that's in the camp, and look on it, and you'll be healed. And so this is Jesus bringing this idea of salvation that's going to be found in Him as we put our eyes on Him. Could you imagine the faith? Could you imagine the first couple of people? They get bit by a snake. I ain't looking at some stupid fraud. Like, why is that going to help me? It's like, um, name it. I can't remember um, the... Who was the, this is why I should never bring up stuff as I'm thinking, the guy who had leprosy that came um, to be healed and he told him to go wash in the river and he was like, we have better water back where I'm from. And of course he's like, well, (laughs) nothing else has worked. (laughs) So he gets and he gets healed and he tells them, but could you imagine after that first or second person bit by a snake, looked on it, healed. Imagine the test. This is, this is, this is the gospel This is what we preach. After we get healed, we point people to the place of their healing. And Jesus is telling them, here's what you do. You put your attention and affection, you put your faith, which is what this is, on this serpent. I'm going to read something I found in one of the commentaries. And it's going to, it's going to, it's, it's written from a perspective of those that may not believe. So don't, don't take offense to the way it's written to begin with when it says, suppose there actually is a God of heaven. Okay? So don't, don't be bothered by that. But I like this because 
especially as we get into what we're going to get into, I think it's helpful. Suppose there was actually a God in heaven and suppose that God created a world and everything in it. Suppose that in the process of making a mirror of species of birds, fish and animals, he formed human beings in his image and gave them the most exalted position in all of creation. Suppose he said, you will be holy even as I am holy. And he gave them only one command to obey. But 15 minutes after he made them, these human beings revolted against him doing the very thing that he had commanded them not to do. Suppose God then said, I'm going to provide a way of escape from judgment. And he then called Abraham Abraham out of paganism, brought him to himself and said to him, I'm going to make you the father of great of a great nation. Suppose that he blessed all the descendants of Abraham, expanded them into the whole nation and said, through this nation, I'm going to bless the whole world. But this nation repeatedly turned against him. Suppose God sent prophets to these people to tell them to come back to him, just as an unfaithful spouse returns to his or her partner. But the people killed the prophets. Suppose God finally said, I love you so much that even though you are stiff-necked people, that I'm going to send my eternal, only begotten Son to you. But the people rose up against the Son and crucified him. And suppose that God loved the people enough in all of this that while they were in the very act of killing his son, he transferred the sins of his people to his son and said, if you put your trust in him, if you confess your sins and believe in him, if you turn your gaze upon Jesus, you will not experience death. I'm going to give you eternal life. With no pain, no tears, no evil, and no darkness. If God were to do all of that, would you have the insolence to say to him, God, you, have, you haven't done enough for this world that hates you. There's something that in reading this this week that I'm sure I've thought it, but it just, it just stood out to me. So let's, let's get into it, and I'll explain. Starting in verse 13, 16, which we could probably all quote. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Proof of the Father's love. And th- this is the line that it kind of tripped me up. And I probably read it in... in Go with me for a second. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The condemned question I'm going to answer will be answered in the next verse. The through, through is probably one of the most important words you will hear in the New Testament. You'll see this over and over again as we walk through the gospel, as you open up the word. There's no good news without Jesus. There's no eternity. There's no life without this through part. So I think a lot of people in our world feel condemned by Jesus. Verse 18. 
It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Listen to this. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Think about that. Let, I mean, that, that's what, like, as I was reading this this week, I think a lot of times we're like, you know, why is this so tough? Let me finish this verse. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son. I found uh, this from John Piper, and I liked it. It says, Jesus did not come to a neutral world with the result that some people moved from neutrality to being anti-Jesus and others moved from neutrality to be pro-Jesus. Nobody was neutral. And nobody is neutral. We have all sinned. We are all guilty. We are all perishing. Therefore, we are all under God's righteous wrath. And we are already, already condemned. Romans 3.23, which he basically quoted there, says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, even good people. Because the illusion is that there are good people. And outside of the mercy that Jesus gives to us, there are no good people. There are, let me say this, there are better people, better than the worst people, but there's no good as it relates to that reality that he's called us to be holy, which is the ultimate goodness. Verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because of their works were evil. When light came into the world, there was already darkness. It was dark. I couldn't find this illustration, but it was in an illustration book I had from years ago, so I'm going to try to um, do it justice by saying this. But I, I found this years ago that um, there was a period of time where people didn't have power, they didn't have electricity, and they didn't have light bulbs like we do in our house right now, right? Okay. So uh, there was a, a town that got one of the first um, electric lines coming into it, and there was the first house in the town that was going to be hooked up to power. And they were going to have electric lights. And they had this celebrate. There was going to be a party at this house as they turned on the lights for the first time inside of their house. And before that, it was all uh, candles and, and lanterns and all of this other stuff. So they invited the whole neighborhood to the house as the sun's going down. And they invited them inside as it's getting dark in here. And they flipped this way. And candlelight and electric light is very different. Candlelight is very dim. Electric light is very bright. And so what the homeowner and this one couple saw for the first time is how dirty the house was. How filthy it was. How the, the, the candle smoke was, you know, like the little things going up the, um, where the candles were on the wall. There, there's just soot on the ceiling. It was just dirty. And one of the wife's... <laughs> Looked, leaned over to her husband and she said, we are never getting power. <laughs> and that's kind of the idea that we're talking about today is that when Jesus came into the room, the lights came on. And when the lights came on, it exposed things that were hidden. It exposed things 
that weren't good. Verse 20. It says, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest the work should be exposed. The problem with our culture right now is people don't care. Like, they're not going to the light, of course, but where in, you know, 50 years ago, there was kind of this conservative umbrella over at least the U.S. that we would hide our darkness. Now, darkness is exposed everywhere. Turn on social media, watch TV shows, get on the Internet. I believe this is why the name of Jesus meets so much resistance. I believe this is why people can talk about God all day long and they want God in their life and people can get up there at the end of their Grammy whatever and thank God. But you mention the name of Jesus and it changes the game because it clarifies God is this. When you mention the name of Jesus, it narrows it down to one. And the truth is that we love to hide our darkness. I thought about bringing you a bulb to carry home with you. I like giving you something to walk away with. I didn't do that. But we love to hide. And the truth is is that if right now a light shone on you and began to spout all the things that you're hiding... And it went person by person after the first person. You would be running out of this room as fast as you can because even the good people in this room have things that are hidden, have things that are staying in the darkness because you're afraid of the light. And let me just tell you, there is no healing for that until it's brought into the light. Exposure is the only thing. And in our culture, we think exposure means that we're done. But exposure to Jesus means healing and restoration. See, we need to get rid of this idea because the people in our world that are dying are dying because they want to hold the darkness. They don't want it to be exposed. We avoid the light, and when we avoid the light, we avoid freedom, peace, joy, salvation. Verse 21 says, but whoever does not, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That kind of tricked me a little bit. I was kind of reading through that like, what, what does that mean? And I, I framed it this way. Do your kids hide when they have done everything right? No, but what do they do when they just drew a beautiful picture in crayon on the wall that you've, they know, they know, they hide, and we do the same thing. The only way that we can live successfully is heading into the light, and not just an exposure, because I think there's an illusion here in the south that if we walk into a room this is the way we view jesus 
If we walk into the room and we turn on the light once and then leave that room, we're good. Salvation is walking into that room, turning on the light and staying in that room. Or, or, let me just, for all those that are like, ooh, I'm outside of the room. Or to return. If you look at the Old Testament, the one picture that I, when I look at the Old Testament, the one picture that I see over and over again is God is willing to take you back. Whole picture. Done wicked, horrible thing. Now, you may have done something in darkness against people that you know and love and around you. God's people did things against Him over and over again. He, they worshipped foreign gods. They brought idols into them. And the moment they were willing to acknowledge, repent, and step back into that, He would rescue and redeem over and over again. And I have faith for those in this room because I believe our salvation is like that. Not that we can we win it and lose it and win it and lose it. I believe that our salvation is a journey that is progressing up, but there's lots of downs. Because if you don't acknowledge the downs, when you have a down, you'll be out instead of progressing up. It's just how it is. There's no one that I have met that the day they said yes to Jesus, their issues ended. And their sin ceased. Now, progressively, hopefully, we should be getting better. But I don't know of anyone that has conquered sin other than Jesus. And our wrestle is to stay in that place of light, stay in that place of going, God, I trust you even over the hidden things. So here's some things that I want to leave you to wrestle with. You have been invited into the light. And I'm, I'm talking about believers and people in this room that aren't. Jesus didn't come in here to put people into darkness. People, Jesus came here to take people out of darkness. And to clarify that, not that I need to say this because I've kind of already said it, to clarify that light is surrendering to Jesus as Lord and Savior. So here's the first question for you. Where are you living? Not at your house, not what is your address. And where are you living? Are you living in the light? Right now, can you stand before God and go, God, I am, I'm embracing your light. I'm allowing that light to heal and transform the imperfections in me. Or are we, and I'm standing on two different colors of tiles up here, one lighter, one darker. Are we, are we touching back and forth between the two? Everything that burdens you and everything that brings you shame, hear this is on this dark side. Not over here. Our, our sin is what's causing our issue in our life. And Jesus is saying, come to me away from it so that we can move forward. So my next question is, have you trusted Jesus? Which sounds like an odd 
thing. But I feel one of my callings as a pastor, I spent 18 years in church lost as an Easter egg. I stole that from somebody. Lost. I mean, informationally, I was found, but heart, I was lost. And I feel half of what I'm going to preach to you, if you are here at this church and new at this church or going to stay here at this church, half of what I'm going to preach to you is that are you serving, loving Jesus? Because it seems obvious, but it's not so obvious as we look at our culture, especially the ones that proclaim Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but then live a fruitless, joyless life. And here's my last thing that I'm going to ask you. So what darkness are you allowing to cling to you? Hebrews 10 or Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 it says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right now, interceding for us. So those that are here struggling with this light and dark side of you, Jesus right now to the Father is interceding for you that you would understand that that darkness is eating you alive. There are addictions in this room that are hidden. Whether it comes in a bottle or where it comes, well, two types of bottle, a glass bottle or a pill bottle. Whether it comes on your um, history, on your websites, whether it comes from the little cheating or stealing that you do. Whether it comes from how you treat God's creation, your family, your people. What is it? I'm going to invite our worship team up. And we're going to worship. Because here's the greatest news. Because some of you in this room are overwhelmed. Some of you in this room right now are going, I could never, I could never have a conversation with somebody to go, I am addicted to pornography. Or I drink way too much. Or I'm verbally abusive to my spouse. Or I am so angry with this world that I am just at the verge of losing my mind. We're going to worship believing that God wants freedom for you. Even if you are the most vile, wicked person in this room. Desires it. That's why he came into this world to bring people out of darkness. And he can bring anyone out of darkness. But it will always be through Jesus. And so as we worship, there'll be those in this room that'll be able to worship out of joy for what he has already done for you. There'll be those in this room that are going to have to worship like that, believing that he will do it in the future. And there are those in this room that as we worship, you need to have a heart-to-heart 
with God. You need to start your confession with Him and then carry that confession out. As we confess our sins one to the other, we will be healed. There's people in this room that it, you're going to need more, not in the means of salvation. You're going to need more than a confessing to God. You're going to need to bring other brothers and sisters alongside of you and say, I need help. And whether that means you come find me at the end of service. I know we have prayer in the back corner uh, as service is closing today. Um, but if you find Greg Bradshaw, Chris Hamilton... Uh, Terry, Don's not here today. One of our elders, regardless of whether we're in the back or not, we would love to pray with you. Find us. You're never burdening. If I'm in the middle of a conversation with somebody, I will leave that conversation. I apologize in advance to have a conversation and pray with you. Because I'd rather you leave here with a speck of hope. Believing that God is going to transform you. Because if he gets you, he will transform others. Let's pray. Jesus. Lord, like Moses lifted up the servant, serpent in the desert. We fix our attention. We fix our eyes on you. Lord, everything else that we've tried to use for means of making us better, we release those and call them idols. And we cling to your feet. So the conversations that need to happen as worship happens, Lord, I pray the power of the living God rests on this room. I pray that there be a clarity that they have not had. I pray that there would be a clarity that rests over this room over the next ten minutes. So they can pull their head out of this darkness and see the light that shines from you. And Lord, I pray for healing and restoration in marriages. Lord, I pray for addictions to be broken as we confess them to you. Not deciding we're going to do better or we're going to kick this thing, but we are going to trust you. So Lord, regardless of what has bitten us, we're going to look to you. And Lord, I pray that we would be your light. After we've experienced your light, we would be your light to others pointing them to you. So Lord, receive our worship as we close out this service. And for those that get introduced and get to know you today, Lord, I pray that there would be joy in their connection to the life-giving Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.